Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul's writing to, he's in jail at this time too, and he's writing to the church of Philippi. Philippians 3.20 For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. So today, I'm going to talk to you today about citizenship. This is a real cool uh, concept that uh, what happens when we accept Jesus into our lives. We become, well, basically you could say we get a dual citizenship. We're the citizen of the country we're in, that we were born in, but we now have another citizenship, a citizenship that's in heaven. I ran an uh, analogy once. It was a really good analogy. <coughs> in the you know, wild safari, Sahara, or desert, or um, you know, African grasslands, at night, it's a very perilous time because during the day, the sun, the animal knows you can see it's advancing, especially if it's uh, trying to get an intelligent person like a human. But at night, it's its best chance to get you unaware without being uh, attacked or de uh, defended against. So what they would do is they would build massive bonfires at night. And that fire, pretty much every animal on Earth is scared of fire. They don't like getting too close to a massive fire. And so the idea was to keep that stoked and keep that fire burning to keep the enemy at bay, to keep the beasts that would want to annihilate us and to eat us, to keep them out, keep them outside of that circle of the fire. But of course, if you did not, uh, if you fell asleep, say the person's in charge of the fire fell asleep and that fire died down, your risk of being eaten, the risk of the enemy or the evil one coming in to take your life greatly increases. <coughs> the fires in our lives as a citizen needs to be properly maintained to keep the evil one at bay. So what is the enemy? Well, we know the natural enemy can be anybody who's threatening your life. There is the enemy of, uh, of all the isms, you know, different political systems. There is the enemy of uh, there's despotism, there's nihilism, all those things. In the natural, there's many things. There's enemy of uh, sicknesses and diseases. But as a citizen of heaven, as a citizen of heaven, we have a spiritual aggressor. Uh, I was just going to keep calling it the evil one. Satan, devil, the evil one is a lion who seeks to consume and devour and to take our lives if, he, if it's possible. So that spiritual battle that we face is all a host of things. Um, you know, depression and uh, apathy, laziness, uh, the feeling of purposeless, purposelessness, a feeling of uh, whatever you do doesn't really matter. It won't make any difference. Uh, who am I? I'm just a, a little citizen of this nation, the citizen of America. What can I do? But you're also a citizen of heaven. I want to build up the citizen, the citizen in you that you have in heaven to this morning. The gospel, the light of the gospel is so desperately needed today. I also want to today 
is to say say this, and it's my this is my uh, thesis. Let's see if I if I accomplish it. <laughs> to be a strong citizen of any nation that you're in, to be a strong citizen, it also requires well to be the strongest citizen possible requires you to also be the most bold, strong, confident citizen of heaven. They're, they're interlinked. If you see the, uh, the birth of this nation, you'll see that they had a very strong, sincere, fervent belief that they were citizens of heaven. They moved across a perilous sea on a rocking boat made of wood at the mercy of the wind, uh, you know, no motors, no compass, or a compass, no GPS, nothing. And they just embarked to a new world because they believed there was a kingdom of heaven that could be established. That was their mindset. And that made them true citizens, true partakers of the land that they ended up on and trying to make that thing work, the great experiment. And we are, here we are, 200 and 40 years later. <clears throat> so in uh, natural, as a citizen, uh, if you remember this in civics class, uh, you have rights and privileges as a citizen of a country you're in. So here in America, we have certain rights and privileges that we are allowed that uh, a non-citizen can't have, for instance, voting and participating in certain functions as a, as a uh, in a civic way. Uh, I know I'm speaking and a whole bunch of things are running through my head. It's not quite that way anymore. You know what I mean? It, it, so that part is eroding, but that's part of my message today. Also, you uh, have defined borders and not just continental. Of course, if you're in Hawaii or Alaska, you're still an American citizen there. But you have a defined border and defined territory that says I'm a citizen of this nation. Years, uh, years ago, when England and Britain owned almost all the world, anywhere you were in, and countries that they had taken over, you were a citizen in that country. So a citizen just is a uh, defined border, is also a defined uh, identity of the country that you're the nation that you're from. And then also, you're entitled to the protections of the law and protection of defense against foreign enemies, foreign and domestic, but mostly foreign, that as a citizen, you are entitled to that protection. And the spiritual, though, well, let me say this first. The definition of a citizen, like freedom, you know, freedom itself, is fragile. It is actually a fairly new concept in, uh, in human history. Uh, up until the times of the Romans, and the Greek had a, a minor period there, you were just subjects. You know, you were, you were a subject of the land or a subject of a nation, and you were constantly in peril of being conquered by some other nation that was going to come in and take over. So that was the times, you know, the idea of a citizen, which came along with the Romans in earnest, was a very new thing. We're just talking 2,000 years of that term of being a citizen. But it's fragile. We cannot put our trust, it's so obvious, in the good intentions of man today. We, we, we know, we can know the truth, but that truth is constantly being manipulated by those who are uh, leading us, by those who are in charge. 
and it could be uh, local and national. In history, we also know that, um, especially in the Roman Empire, but in every empire, whenever there was an obscene amount of prosperity, an obscene amount meaning that every need was pretty much met, every luxury could pretty much be attained. <laughs> doesn't matter, it doesn't mean there weren't any uh, a class that was lower and poorer and couldn't reach that. There were always a separation of classes. But that life and leisure was so rampant, it was so evident, it was so available. And that uh, obscene prosperity has always led to a crisis of a nation, always. Because once you have your needs met, once you have your, th I was in an Uber ride uh, Friday, and uh, this man was uh, upset at his phone because he couldn't find a gas station, and I was like, "Boy, this could be a long ride." <laughs> and um, but he got the gas, and then he we took off, and he started saying a whole bunch of stuff really, really fast. And he looked at me like, you, you know, you hear what I'm saying? And uh, I said, "No, I wear a hearing aid. You're gonna have to slow down just a little bit." What did you just say there at the end? He goes, what, you have any relationship advice for me? I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, how long have you been dating? Stuff, you know, asked a couple other questions. Gave him a couple other tips that, you know, because I'm an excellent relationship guy. <laughs> uh, 17 years, that's pretty good, right? Next, next month. So, uh, so I gave him a bunch of things, and I was like, hey, how old are you? Because I was assuming mid-20s, late-20s. He goes, I'm 43. And I was like, dude, quit messing around and get married. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you know. And I, he, I said, uh, and they've dated a girl for seven months. So, you know, anyway, we, go, we get to the end, almost getting to my destination. He said, uh, hey, man, you know, times are, real, uh, times are real tough. I lost my job at the port of Tampa. Uh, so that's why I'm doing Uber now. And it's, you know, a little tough financially and stuff like that. If you got any, like, extra money that you can give me, you know, be really appreciated. He goes, and I, it really hurts my pride to ask that. And I said, I got a five and a bunch of ones. Sure, I'll give you some money. But as he said that, he's in a Toyota Camry, uh, 2019 Toyota Camry. He has an Apple watch, and he was getting texts while he was driving. You know. and, uh, and then he was playing with his phone, he had an iPhone. And uh, Jewelry, he's wearing jewelry. So I'm not trying to pick on the guy, you know, because he's not here to defend himself, but that's the, that is the personification, that is the definition of obscene prosperity. This guy can, has everything, yet he's broke. You know, he didn't plan, uh, he doesn't understand financial preparation, he doesn't understand uh, possible self-discipline, uh, uh, what that word, uh, what's that phrase called? Delayed gratification, waiting for things instead of having everything you want now. So he's suffering. He's 43 years old, not married, and he's suffering. No kids. And, uh, you know, so when I gave him the money, I said, hey, man, God bless you. Uh, you know, good luck in your endeavor. Remember, Jesus has a way. You know, I didn't get a chance to really pray for him because he stopped right away in the middle of traffic. But uh, he's like, hey, man, thanks. You know, bless you too. And so forth. So that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the issue we face as a nation. We're so prosperous. But 
there's always a catch-22. Like everything that comes into life can be used for good or evil. We have a TV, which is great for sending millions a message that can watch at the same time. But also TV is for all kinds of horrible, uh, graphic, obscene things. Uh, internet, same thing. We can get our messages across to so many, but it's also a cesspool of obscene things. Everything. So the uh, nation, we're so prosperous, but the rest of the world benefits from our prosperity. Our rising has brought up so many others. Poverty is the lowest level has ever happened in the history of mankind. The lowest level ever. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we solve this complex, uh, difficult issue that we face today as citizens of America, but also as citizens of heaven? I've read this so many times, I'm, I'm saying everything as I'm already... So, one thing that's also uh, very common is we are incapable of handling prosperity. We're incapable of handling success. Uh, we can achieve such great heights, and many, um, undoubtedly, the providence from God, the providence on this country, to achieve such great heights and advancement and medicine and uh, technology, the whole nine yards. Uh, my mom had uh, open heart surgery, you know, the craziest concept to think about that they could stop your heart and then restart it again and keep you alive during the whole process. You know, not that, you don't, you did that in the 1800s, it was a science experiment. You know, uh, it's just crazy. So we have all this ultimate, unbelievable advancement, but we are incapable of, of being responsible with it, of managing it. It's just a, it's a crisis of humanity. We are incapable of managing it. We need a savior. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy and it makes us feel powerless and useless. But let me tell you this morning of another event that happened in human history 2,000 years ago. You know, whenever I say 2,000 years ago, I always think of what did they say, you know, at the year 1,000 AD? That they were like, 1,000 years ago, Jesus walked this earth. And then in 3,000 years, they'd be like, yes, we finally made it to 3,000. I can sit up here and I can preach and say, 3,000 years ago, Jesus, you know, that could happen. Don't, don't be surprised. We could be here another 1,000 years. Not me, not us. But. but the Christ who is the citizen maker does not have a human nature that wants to control his citizens. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and he has set us free from the shackles of bondage, of the bondage of sin, of sickness, of death. That's the citizen maker. That's our example. He came here and walked on earth as a man, as a citizen of Israel at the time, of Nazarene, and walked that earth as a citizen of that country, a Jew, and also as a citizen of heaven. The life of a citizen of heaven is one of extreme privilege, not rights. So we talked about as a citizen of America, we have rights. As a citizen of heaven, you have a privilege. And the difference is this. The only, the only uh, right you have is to choose what truth you want to believe. That's the only right you have. 
but then you have to suffer the consequences, and not all of it is suffering. You make a good choice, and one of truth, it's a good consequence, but you have to accept the consequences of your, your uh, belief in that truth. So it's imperative to find what is true, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But you have a privilege, an immense privilege, in, uh, of, uh, of grace, the privilege of grace and mercy, the privilege of, of uh, receiving the gift of uh, humility, but also of all the gifts of the Spirit. All those are privileges. We don't have a right. We don't stand here and say, God, what are my rights as a Christian? You know, what are my rights as a citizen of heaven? But where you do demonstrate your rights is to the evil one. You have to tell the evil one what your rights are and remind him he has no place and no business in your life. When I would go back to the point of choosing truth and suffering the consequences of it, there's um, that famous message uh, speech, and I forget her first name, but her last name, Park, Mrs. Park, uh, a girl from North Korea, spoke in, uh, I believe it was Ireland, and gave her testimony of how she escaped North Korea. But then she also gave this in an interview I saw recently, much more in depth, where she was 13 and had a sister, and they just had no food. And they lived in the northern part of North Korea, so there was a river there, and just literally on the other side is China, a former Manchuria, which I don't call that anymore. But she could literally just swim that water, get across, and be in China and try to find food. But of course, if you get caught doing that, the Chinese don't want you there, and North Koreans get very upset, and they could kill you or beat you. But anyways, she decides she's finally going to do it. Uh, she's starving. Her parents are starving. Her sister's starving. And, and before she said that, too, the identity of a North Korean is so incomprehensible to understand. There's no identity. The only thing they know is they are North Koreans, and uh, Kim Jong-un is the, is the dictator, and he's also suffering just like you. And the reason why they're suffering is because of the, the imperialist West, the United States. That's what they're taught. So she gets across the water. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, I forget the little detail right there. So she went to a woman who got her sister out. And then she said to the woman, where's my sister? And she goes, I don't know who you're talking about. And she realized she can't, she can't identify anybody she lets get out of the country because then she's in trouble. And years later, she ended up being executed. But she said, I, but I can get you out. And she didn't realize this. To get them out of North Korea, they sell them as sex slaves. So she's 13 years old, gets sold to China as a sex slave. She's there for two years, and she finds out, well, actually, by providence, a man who was a gambler who had her as his slave was, ran out of money and said, I can't afford to keep you. Just leave. And she said, well, where will I go? China doesn't want me here. You know, I can only stay here if I'm a slave. And he says, I don't care. So she ran to someone else who knew about missionaries that were in China. She went to their missionary place, and they said, you can come stay with us, but you have to become a Christian first. So after a month of teaching and training and whatever they do, she became a Christian, and they said, do you want to leave, uh, leave China and go to South Korea? And she goes, yes. And they said, okay. So they equipped them with a little bit of food, knives, and a poison pill. And then they have to cross the Gobi Desert, which is mild, I don't know how many miles that is, freezing cold, February, 40 below, navigate through six electric barbed wire fences, and then when they get to Mongolia, 
they were caught by guards, and the guard toying with them, they didn't realize this is what they like to do, said, we're going to take you back to North Korea. You can't come through here. One woman took the poison pill and killed herself. And the purpose of the poison pill and the knife was you'd rather die in the Gobi Desert than return to North Korea. But then they said, well, you're just joking. But one woman already died. They were a team of eight. She makes it to South Korea, goes through a whole process of uh, you know, checking if she's not a spy, if she's healthy, she doesn't have any diseases, get immunization, blah, blah, blah. While she's in South Korea, they don't get really accepted by North South Koreans don't accept North Korean, but she worked for a time, got invited to that speech in Ireland, and a book publisher heard her story, wanted to publish it, sent her to America, and then when she did that story, she went to school at Columbia University for four years. And she's giving this whole testimony, okay? So, and the whole time she's testimony, her English is perfect, and she's smiling, and she has a little bit of humor, and uh, and a whole four years while she was at Columbia University, she heard the same message of anti-Americanism that she heard in North Korea. And while she was in South Korea, she was shocked that there were no Americans there. She thought South Korea was run by Americans. It was an American country. And South Korea says, no, I mean, they are protecting us, but we're autonomous. We're our own country, we're our own nation. She had no idea. When she was in South Korea, she would get tired for thinking for five minutes. They would tell her to think about this and, and comp complete this thing, whatever the task she had to do. And she said, I would need to take a break. And she would go take a two-hour nap. Because in North Korea, they don't know what think is. And in fact, North Koreans don't have a word for freedom. And they don't have a word for oppression. They don't have a word for escape. The North Koreans removed all those words from the vocabulary. They don't know how to say it. And they don't know how to think. That's the incomprehensible part of that. And she said it was so, uh, such a struggle. So when I came to America, I would see this obscene prosperity. But when she went to school, she heard the absolute opposite of what she was seeing. And she said to students who were feeling oppressed and triggered and, you know, hold up. And, and she said, you don't know what oppression is. You know, I'm from North Korea. We don't have a word for oppression. We thought it was normal. She said, if you have a definition of oppression, then you're not oppressed because you know what it is. They didn't know what it was. And so the fascinating story is, uh, she was asked by the interviewer, how come you're happy? How come you're smiling and happy? You should be on some, he said, are you on any medication? She goes, no. He said, you should be. Like, that's what we expect. A sex slave at 13, raised in North Korea. She watched her father, she helped her father escape North Korea. But when his daughters left, he got tortured. But they torture you to the moment of death and bring you back, and they make you so beat down that when he finally escaped North Korea, he never could look at anybody in the eyes again. He never recovered. He eventually just died from being disinterested in life, but never could look in his daughter's eyes again because of what they did, psychological torture to him. I mean, imagine that. So, here we are in this obscene life of luxury uh, with all the benefits of liberty and freedom. But here's a citizen of North Korea who's now a citizen. I, I, must, I imagine she became a U.S. citizen. Uh, uh, the stark differences of being a citizen of two different nations like that. So you can have a choice of choosing truth to, to be happy. You can make that choice. 
You can make the choice in the worst of situations, and you can make the choice in the best of situations. But the challenge is in the best of situations to maintain the bonfire. Because in the worst of situations, it's easy. We're talking about survival. But when you got everything met, where is the intensity? Where is the desire to keep the bonfire going? The citizenship of heavenly, divine authority in your life. In regards to borders, we have border, like I mentioned, as a citizen. As a spiritual citizen of heaven, when God sent the Israelites out of Egypt, and he said, but even before that, when he spoke to Abraham, he said, there's a promised land, I'm going to greatly increase your seed of your uh, descendants, and it's going to multiply and be as many as the sands of the earth and the stars of the sky, and, and the whole thing that we know that happened there in Genesis. In Exodus, uh, yeah, Exodus, they, um, God spoke like five or six times saying, uh, your land was going to be defined by this border to Sidon and all the way to the Euphrates River and to Mount like Sinai. Like he was always determining what their borders would be. Can you just imagine God saying, yeah, you're going to be this great people and you're going to multiply uh, beyond imagination somewhere. Okay, you're just going to be out there and just do it. Okay, just go, go. Make it happen. Can you imagine? It would be absurd. It would be like, what? Are uh, you going to tell us where we're going to go? You know, no, no, just multiply, be my people, and just go, just go. No, he gave a very defined border. As a citizen of heaven, we have defined borders, and that where it starts with the borders is our own life, and then your family's life, and your, your spouse's life, your siblings' lives. And now that comes in at the border of, as I said a little while ago, the evil one may not touch my life. That's your border. The evil one will not control my thinking. It will not rob me of my joy. Uh, all those things. You make that proclamation. But what's cool as a citizen of heaven, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. There are citizens of heaven in communist China. There are citizens of heaven in uh, majorly oppressed Iran. There are citizens of heaven everywhere. You are not defined by a geographical border as a citizen of heaven. You can be anywhere and still be a follower and a, and a representation, an ambassador of Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, and also, too, when they, when they got the promised land, remember how you gave so much rules of don't worship, or basically gave the Ten Commandments, but he said, don't worship false gods, don't bring in that, that culture in here, don't intermarry with the other cultures, all that stuff. He wasn't, he wasn't doing all this just to be mean, to keep you from doing anything. He was doing it because he wanted to keep the cultural outside influences out of their lives. Because once that came in, once that uh, envy of what they had comes in, you lose your focus of God. Your bonfire starts to dim. And you're allowing all these other things control your life. So that was also significant with the fine borders. Uh, the Bible says to guard your heart, guard your soul, guard your mind, renew your mind. Uh, your body is a temple, just like the temple was kept holy and separate for God. Your body is holy and separate for God. We're in, in the inner man. My body, <coughs> my body is definitely not holy, but you cannot be a citizen without borders. 
I can't walk into Mexico or Canada and say, I'm a Mexican, I'm a Canadian citizen. It will never happen, it won't work. You can't even walk into Canada right now. And you, you, you have to, you still keep your status because the borders determine who our citizens are. If you remove borders, you lose citizenship. That means uh, the, that gets washed down, it gets diluted. But if that gets diluted, nationally and the natural, are you going to let your citizenship that you have in heaven get diluted or get pushed down? I say, in this day and age, our citizenship in heaven should rise. Mm -hmm. It should become stronger. We should resist the life of luxury and leisure and, and take up a spiritual uh, arms, if you will. These weapons that we need are weapons of spiritual warfare against all the principalities and powers of the evil one. And then protection in the natural, we know the protection of the military, the protection of our local police, and we have laws that protect us. Doesn't mean the laws get broken, but they are there as a, uh, a moral vanguard against evil. In our own lives, I only have to say the one thing that Jesus said, and he said at the end of Matthew, and lo, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age or of the world or even until the very end, depending on which version. That's protection. You don't need anything more than that. So what are the duties, uh, I'll close with this, what are the duties of a Christian citizen of heaven? One is to be awake. Mark 13, I'm going to start with 32. Jesus said, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. If it is, the, it is like a man going to a far country who has left his house and gave authorities to his servants and to each, to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, watch. Uh, Therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, or in the midnight, or at the, growing, at the crowing of the rooster, or in, uh, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly to find you sleeping, and what is to say to you to say to all, what I say to all, watch. In this parable, he says watch four times, and... Uh, in the Greek, that word watch literally means to fend off sleep, to ward off sleep, to fight it, to fight sleep. So the duty as a Christian citizen is to be awake. Be awake. Now, of course, naturally, we need to sleep, right? So obviously, that's not what I mean. Spiritually, be awake. Be ready. Be ready. And I'm not saying Jesus is coming next week. I'm just saying he spoke this 2,000 years ago. And man, did the church fall asleep at certain periods of 2,000 years. We need to be awake. We need to be vigilant. We need to be watching and be ready and to ward off the sleep, to, to resist the life of leisure and luxury. You know, we have that, uh, we have that challenge, but they don't have that challenge in uh, Niger Delta, you know, where Pastor Terry and Chris have been. They don't have that luxury. Uh, many parts of the world, you know, we have a unique struggle 
their struggle is uh, making their infrastructure better and more, you know, sophisticated and and and, uh, and their struggle every day is just trying to get off, get it, not get malaria or any of the other, you know, water sicknesses and, and being in the tundra, being in the jungle. So that's our first duty is to be awake, to watch and pray. Don't fall asleep. Our second duty is to be informed. Jesus said in John 8.32, uh, this one, there we go. Well, I lost that spot, but no worries. He said in John uh, 32, the famous phrase, I have set you free. Who is free? I have set you free. Oh, the truth, I'm sorry. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, that's great. Yes, the truth made me free. I love it, you know. I don't have to be uh, living a lie. I don't have to be uh, uh, making a, a fool of myself. I can know that this is true. Even if someone is barking into my face that what I'm saying is not true and it's false, I can know deep, style, deep down inside Jesus has set me free from that truth. That's how you know something is true, is if it's freeing. Even if the truth says, don't do this thing, which is a limitation, right? A, a, a boundary, you can't do this. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, don't commit uh, adultery. That's a rule, that's a limitation. So that's a truth that sets me free. But some people can say, well, that is, that's, that's a limitation, that's not freedom, I ought to just be whoever I want. No, that truth, that limitation, that restriction is what sets you free. You're free in the relationship that you're in. I mean, it's just, uh, it's so basic, it's so, it's so pure. You know, man came up with this, you know, it came from God, that's what makes it so awesome. But to be informed just doesn't mean, yes, it's truth for me, but it's just for me. I'm going to live my own little world and just take care of my, me and myself. And um, every time I meet someone like that, and, and uh, you know, somewhere in my family, it's just me and myself and me and my family. That's all I'm worried about and concerned about. I don't really, I, have, I don't have like very many other conversations with them. You know, there's nothing... You know, nothing excites you, nothing gets you concerned, you know, about the outside world. Uh, you know, you're not interested in anything. I mean, uh, those who know me well, I'm always, uh, I'm struggling not to pay too much attention to the outside world. <laughs> What's the latest news, you know, it's like gossip. Did you hear what so-and-so, and did you hear, you know, we got 24-7 news cycle, it's crazy. But being informed, it's not just for you, as I'm saying. Being informed is also to share it with others. Share that truth. Jesus said, uh, you shall be made free. And then he said, those, those uh, and my disciples, when they got to the collimation of his ministry, he was now saying, you need to go and bring that good news. You need to bring that gospel. The truth that set you free from that bondage needs to be presented. It needs to be given. It needs to be bringing over, gotten over to the other people. Now, if your bonfire is real little, you know, it's freezing cold in the world and you got this little bonfire and you're like trying to stay warm. You're venturing over here outside the circle. You ever, you ever done a bonfire and like I did in 15 degree weather? You had about a three foot circle around that fire where we were, it was all in our shorts. 
standing around a fire, a bunch of guys having fun. You stepped outside that three-foot circle, and it was freezing cold outside of that. But as the fire dies down, you notice everybody gets a little closer, gets a little closer to the fire. So if your bonfire is real little, how is that going to really present to other people as a citizen of heaven? You know, that discouragement of feeling useless and powerless is the evil one getting too close to your fire. He's snatching something from you. He's keeping you from, don't put any more wood on that fire by proclaiming the truth of God, by proclaiming the, the things that he's done for you, by proclaiming what he's going to do, and having the knowledge that the victory is already won, the Bible is already assured of what God's going to do. You know, all that stuff of wood should be kept throwing on the fire. You know, we need to keep that fire burning bright. If we get annoying to some people, good, let them be annoyed. <laughs> and then finally, the duty of a Christian is to pray. And let's see if I did this one right. Yes, I did. All right. Luke 21. If you want to stay encouraged and not down, downcast, don't read Luke 21. No. <laughs> no, we need to read the heavy stuff too. Jesus said in uh, verse, uh, start with 34. So I hear the importance of watching. But take heed of yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life. I don't know anybody who's carousing or getting drunk, but the cares of this life is a challenge for all of us. The cares of this life, it's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a leech that just sucks the energy out of your life. It kills a fire. It's a wet blanket. And the day, and the cares of this life, and the day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to, you, to, come to pass and, and stand before the Son of Man. We can stand confidently in, in, in front of the Son of Man. So he's saying here again, watch, but also pray always. Of course, Paul says, pray without ceasing. And then, wherever you are, whether you're in an oppressive regime, nation, or you're in a free nation, nobody can stop you from praying. Amen. An intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer doesn't always involve words. It involves just meditating and being in tune with God and letting the Holy Spirit minister to you. You can be in the deepest pit, no sunlight, 24 hours a day, in prison and still pray. No one can stop you from praying. So that's a key duty as a Christian. Let's not forget that and let us fall on the wayside. And so it's not enough to benefit from the privilege and blessings of citizenship. But it's not enough to just uh, enjoy the benefits of it and not defend it. You need to defend your citizenship in heaven. You need to take up arms. You need to wear the armor of God. You need to be the most strongest, able-bodied, confident citizen of heaven. Because on this earth, while you're traveling, we're just traveling through. I love Billy Graham. He's like, I'm just traveling through. I'm traveling through to get to heaven, but I have a job here right now on earth. From the very moment God gave us a job in the Garden of Eden, and then from that point on, work always had a strong 
uh, emphasis on life, not, not working, was always seen as not productive. It was seen as not accomplishing things. And boy, did this country work to achieve where we are now. I mean, think about that. Nobody could have gotten to where we are today without strong, hard work ethic to build it, to, to conquer it, to, uh, uh, but then it reaches like a cliff. You know, it just, it just, it just such sheer abundance. You just don't, you're oversaturated. There's no fire anymore. A fire is just a little tiny glowing ember. But we need to defend it. You need to, uh, have you ever read the Beatitudes lately? Matthew 5? You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know their need for God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that whole chapter, he just goes on and on about uh, the life of a Christian citizen in heaven. If you really just were to think outside the box, you see that's what he's really talking about. In that moment in time there, they were talking about uh, Jerusalem and then uh, the nation of Israel and then Samaria, those defined borders there. But he was talking about being a Christian citizen, that out, it went beyond their citizenship. Paul, talking about in Philipp, uh, Philippians, I just opened up with, constantly used his Roman citizenship to get out of some scrapes. You know, he knew he was a Christian citizen, and he knew he was uh, the, the elite of all Jews, but he said, I count that all for naught if I can't have Christ. But one time he was flogged and whipped uh, for, I forget what he was arrested and charged with, that's, that's like, uh, whoever does that is in danger of being in death for flogging a Roman citizen. That was completely against the law. No Roman citizen was to suffer that type of shame. And he did. Did he go against him and say, uh, court and sue him with a lawyer and say, I want that man who flogged me to put to death? I don't see any record of that. He was willing to suffer that because his citizenship, his bonfire and fire in his life was burning hot. It was burning bright and burning hot. Having a border in your life is also crucial, where you don't allow the evil one to place anything in your life to accuse you, to demean you, to take away your hope, to take away your citizenship, and to take away your voice, keep you weak, or to hold you back. You are a citizen of heaven with a sovereign God. Don't lose hope. Paul talks about also in the beginning of the chapter of Philippians, the beginning of the book, where he said, conduct yourself in the manner that will bring glory to God, to live to Christ, to die as gain. And he was writing this in prison. He wasn't sure if he was going to get out of that prison. He was probably already thinking, I might die here. So thankful he was able to write so many letters from prison. But he said, you conduct your lives worthy in the manner that will glorify God, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So keep that fire burning bright. It's up to you, each one of us individually. You don't need to, you know, so-and-so let me down. I don't, I don't think you have to do it alone. Find those around you that can do it, your spouse, your friend, whatever. But it's up to you to make the choice, is what I mean. You have to accept the truth of how to get there you're responsible for that. So be awake, be informed, and teach others, and pray. Intercessory prayer. Pray, pray, pray for the souls, for those around you. Pray for yourself. You know, pray for God's movement. 
uh, in this nation and pray for God's movement in the body of Christ. Yes. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm done. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are more than worthy of our worship and praise. And Lord, I just ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for letting my fire get too small. For letting it get, uh, for carelessly not minding it. For not maintaining it. Lord, just forgive us all, Lord. For at times getting so caught up in the cares of this life. Lord, may we remember that our uh, abilities as a human are, are short, are very weak. Lord, we need to set that weakness, Lord, in your hands and say, I'm too weak to be a citizen of heaven. And Lord, we replace that with your strength. We are strong because we are first weak and full before you. Lord, you don't want weak Christians and weak citizens of heaven, Lord. You want confident, strong, vibrant citizens of heaven walking this earth, Lord. Lord, we are needed now more than ever, Lord. Remind us of how important our job is in the short time we have on earth before we get to spend eternity with you, before we get to return to the nation that we have come from. Lord, we thank you for that responsibility, Lord. May that responsibility charge us, not condemn us, not uh, make us feel ashamed or put down. Let it be a constant reminder to take that responsibility. Lord, as we defend ourselves from the evil one, to hold us in every negative thought, as your word says, to take every negative thought captive by your spirit. Lord, let our mind be strong, be confident. Let, we, let us remember to spend time on our knees and being refilled and re, uh, revitalized, Lord, restored back into the person that we were called to be, a citizen of heaven. Lord, let us keep adding wood to that fire. Let the bonfire burn bright to keep the enemy at bay, but also those warm glow, the warm fire would invite the nation of the world and the people to come to you to see a, a warm embrace, a, a, a beautiful smile of a saint of the body of Christ. That's what you have called us to do, Lord. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace, as our song said today. There is only grace, Lord, that privilege that we get to enjoy. But it's also a privilege that we can let die if we don't enact it. Grace should be something that makes us move in action. Grace is a verb. Let us move in action, Lord. And then mercy, Lord, you are not telling us, look what you did with a pointing finger. You're looking at us saying, look what you can do. Look what you can do. Turn and just do that. Just go and do likewise. You said that so many times. Just go and do likewise. Just do what I've commanded. But we also know, Lord, we cannot present the gospel I'm sorry, we cannot present the law and the Ten Commandments of what keeps us safe, that keeps us protected without the gospel. Well, let us not be uh, contemptuous and uh, 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 treat others with contempt just because they don't believe like we do. And this political uh, 
highlighted political time that we live in, Lord. Lord, let us be reminded that all creation is your creation. All peoples are loved by you. You died on the cross for everyone. Lord, we pray for those who mock us, Lord. We pray for those who would consider us a threat. Lord, we pray for those who are lost, that need your love. Lord, let us present the gospel in a loving way, a truthful way, an informed way, because your truth has set us free to do those very things. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord. Let's give the Lord, let's just, let's just praise the Lord for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your spirit.